0: Everyone's favourite satirist, Adrian Plass, pens a new sacred diary for the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine with his unique take on the phenomenon of the Christian festival. Plus we ask, how should believers respond to identity politics? Is smoking the cardinal sin it's often made out to be? Hugh Ross tells how astrophysics brought him face-to-face with the Creator and we bring you a special report on the mega church movement in the USA going behind the scenes of six of America's biggest churches. All that plus much more. Ask for your free edition at premierchristianity.com slash freesample.
1: The Profile.
0: You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Where faith comes to life. Hello, and welcome to the Profile Podcast with me, Sam Hales. It's a special edition of the show today because we're digging back into the archives for an interview I conducted in 2016 with Banning Liebscher. The interview went out on Premier Christian Radio in 2016, but it has not been released until now on the Profile podcast. So we wanted to put it out for you. Really interesting interview with the founder of Jesus Culture. You may know Jesus Culture as the band, but they're actually a movement. They have some influence here in the UK as well, running conferences, partnering with other churches as Banning says in this interview, he actually sometimes gets mistaken for being the sound man for the band. Uh, But he is actually the man who heads up the movement. And he talks at length in this interview about his own testimony and really his vision for Jesus culture, not just as a church, as a movement, but also about how they're wanting to bless churches in the UK. So let's listen in. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales and today I'm speaking to Banning Liebscher. Banning is the founder of Jesus Culture, which is a global movement aiming to raise, equip and mobilise Christians worldwide. Banning, welcome to the programme. Ah, uh, Thanks for having me, it's great to be here. So I wondered, um, we always start on the, on the Profile by asking about someone's background, so tell me a bit about what life was like growing up for you. What was life like growing up for you? Well, I'm from
1: California. I'm from a smaller
0: town up
1: in Northern California. And, uh, you know, grew up in a Christian home, uh, a pretty conservative Baptist Christian home. So grew up with some good roots and um, got saved legitimately. I remember, you know, sitting in my mom's lap when I was four years old and asking Jesus into my heart and getting baptized. And, and uh, it, But it wasn't until I was 17 that we started attending this church and I started getting involved in the youth group and um i wasn't really i was saved but it, it was it wasn't it hadn't fully become my own as far as a relationship and when i was 17 years old i started going to this youth group the youth pastor invited me to come to a night service i came out to a night service he spoke a, a message i still remember to this day and and he he did like um he he asked for a response for the sermon mm-hmm. and i i was 17 years old and all i remember is i got up i went forward i knelt down and i said God, if I'm going to do this Christianity thing, I'm going to do it 100%. Mm. And uh, everything changed that night. Wow. Everything changed. Like, I went home that night, and I said, Mom, I want to preach. That's what I want to do with my life. And uh, that was my senior year of high school, the last year of high school for me. And I just went for it. Started bringing everybody I could to church. Started going to church. Read the Bible in a year. Like, just kind of dove straight in. Yeah. And I just really kind of, the Lord really lit me up in a in a big way and really encountered that I'm a leader and all that stuff. So then went to
0: college and then came back, got on staff at a church at 19 and was on staff for 18 years. Wow, that's fantastic. I mean, a lot of times you, you meet people who grew up in a Christian background and they have a great story like that, but then they go away to college and it all, yeah, all goes yeah, wrong yeah. a little bit. But it was, you you kept on the straight and narrow.
1: Yeah, well, I think the Lord got a hold of my heart right before I went. You know, I probably would have had the same story, except for, for whatever reason, I don't know why that night, just the Lord really got a hold of my heart and I knew this is what I want to do. I I don't want to live half-hearted. I don't want to kind of give a little bit. I want to give everything and... And it's been the craziest ride of my life. It's been the best ride of my life. I just can't imagine living any other way.
0: At what point were you at Bethel? Were you at Bethel all of this time? I was at,
1: well, okay, so I was, yes, it was actually at Bethel that I uh, started to get involved in the youth group when I was 17. This is 1993, if you can imagine that. And uh, in 1995, I came back and actually came on staff, started interning, then got hired. Right. And, uh, so, and I was youth pastor at Bethel for, uh, I was there with youth ministry for about 12 years and then another six years. Mm-hmm. A lot of people may not know. I don't know how much people know about Jesus culture, but, uh, the worship of Jesus culture was just coming out of our youth group. Yeah. Uh, so Kim Walker Smith, Chris Kilala. They were just in the youth group. Yeah. So Chris, who he's thirty three now, he was he was twelve years old. He was in my wedding when he was fourteen. <laughs> so he was like a groomsman. He was fourteen. Kim had just turned eighteen and moved to Reading and yeah. was serving in the youth group. So yeah. yeah, all of this stuff for us came out of that. Yeah.
0: And you know, Bethel Church is, is a congregation we hear quite a lot about in the UK. I think a lot of people have heard of Bill Johnson's ministry, and we hear these amazing stories of, of healings and signs yeah. and wonders. And so you were leading the, the youth group. Yes, right, you know. For, for a long period of time. Yes. And did you see those kind of amazing healings and signs of wonders in the in the youth group as well as the adults?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We, we would see kids that would go to school. Uh, simple stories like um, a, a, a kid that has to have a, a shot for like um, diabetes or whatever else. Um, there's stories like this on the football field or our American football field mm. or a kid that needed to go to the nurse's station because they weren't feeling well because they hadn't had their shot. Uh, and one of our kids walks with him, prays with them, runs into him three days later, and she says, I haven't had a shot in three days. I feel great. So yeah, I tell this stuff, and a lot of the conferences early days, when we started doing Jesus Culture conferences, we would send everybody out onto the streets, the entire conference, all the young people. we just say, go out into the streets for three hours and just go find people to pray for, and they would come back with the craziest stories. They'd come back with the stories of, Going into somebody's apartment and somebody had massive scoliosis, was in pain in bed from it, getting completely healed. People on walkers and wheelchairs and uh, some of the craziest stories. would just come back, deaf ears opening up. These kids would just go on the streets. And they would just start praying for people. Wow. And the Lord started showing up and healing them. And they'd come back. We'd all be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> These your testimonies were like, are you serious? That happened? <laughs> so, yeah, that, yeah, that's how it all started in the early days.
0: So Jesus Culture was birthed really kind of out of Bethel. Jesus Culture yes, was, absolutely. was the youth ministry of, of Bethel. And it started with a conference, really, didn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we had a youth group. And then in 1999, we decided to put on a conference. And we called it Jesus Culture. It was, the, the whole thing started actually because we named a conference Jesus Culture. Right, okay. And we started doing that twice a year. And what we began to realize was, one, um, there was something very special on the worship. I don't know how to describe it, but it was like people were just really meeting with the Lord, and their lives were being changed in worship. And mm. we knew, like, something's happening. In fact, when we recorded our first album, that's how we recorded mm. it. We, we, if you if you go back to some of our first albums, they're super raw, and they're all just covers of other songs. Mm. Because what we were trying to do, we were trying to say, listen, we want to see if we record these conference worship times, maybe somebody else would encounter the Lord like we are mm-hmm. in these times. And so and, and so, it didn't matter what song we were singing, if 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 that was where we felt the Lord was moving, we put that on the CD. Yeah. And so still to this day, some of my favorite testimonies are people that are like, I, I don't know what it is, but every time I put on a CD of yours in worship... You know, I encountered the Lord in, in in a significant way because that's the whole reason why we did it at the beginning. Yeah, so it was a conference worship, and then in 2005 we actually came to England. In 2005 we felt like we're supposed to take these conferences out, so we went to Atlanta and we went to Rugby, England. Mm-hmm. Well, had about 120 people come to St Mark's Church or something like that, <laughs> and uh, and it was it was a pretty special time.
0: Amazing. Um, and for those who don't know, tell me the, tell me the story about how the Jesus Culture name came about. It's a cool story. Well, yeah, it,
1: it's, uh, isn't it funny how, how much more anticlimactic it really is <laughs> and how simple? We had a conference, and I w- we were really trying to think of a name. So I was walking through a mall, and I, and I saw uh, there's like a skater brand called Counterculture over in America. And there was this kind of like this skater shop, and, um, and it just said Counterculture. I was just sitting there going, I love that concept. You know, At the time, we were only dealing with teens. I love that concept of seeing a generation that's countercultural, but I, I, I thought I don't want it just to just be countercultural. I want it to be a Jesus culture. Mm. I, I don't, I'm not just looking for like a, you know a you know just a revolution for revolution. We really want to see a Jesus culture raised up, not just a counterculture generation. So uh, that's what we named it. And people were like, "What are you calling it? All right, <laughs> you know, okay." And then, uh, but I don't know why it just stuck that's brilliant years later it's still there it's still yeah it, and then in the early days we just named everything jesus culture literally people are like <laughs> we're like when they have a conference jesus culture we wrote a book named jesus culture <laughs> we have a band we named it jesus culture everything yeah. was just jesus culture
0: and it, it continues to this day and we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute but you do have a, now a church called yes. jesus culture yeah well. that's exactly right
1: <laughs> so it just carried on actually funny story about that somebody we planted a church and most people would only know us as a worship movement yeah so we had some visitors come and they're like i didn't know you had a church and I thought it was really weird that you named the church after your band. <laughs> <laughs> almost like we call it Jesus Culture Sacramento. They're almost like, why would you call it Newsboys Sacramento? You know? <laughs> it
0: Brilliant. Awesome. So, so quite quickly over the years, this went from being something at Bethel to being, as you describe, this international movement with conferences all over the U.S. and now all over the world. What was it that enabled you to grow in that way? Because I think a lot of people on the outside looking in would say, this this appears to happen quite quickly. Okay, it was over a period of years, but within a very short period of time, you went from just, just being a youth group to being this kind of international movement. Yeah, the music. Yeah.
1: Well, I think we kind of did a couple of things. It happened all at once. One, we started taking the conferences out. So we started visiting cities in the US, Atlanta and Dallas and Chicago it, and started coming over to England and and, uh, but, but it was really the worship that took off it was a very interesting story about that because the second, the second album that we recorded, um, Kim, uh, who's been with us for a long time, she, she came back from North Carolina and said, Hey, um, there's a song that I'd like to sing on this next album called how he loves a friend of ours, John Mark McMillan had written it. And so we get together to do this album and one of our guys says, let's record a DVD with it. And I'm not exaggerating this story. We're like, well, how do we do that? <laughs> He's like, I don't know. Let's get some, like, like let's borrow some video cameras and just record this. We're like, okay. So we just borrowed a bunch of video cameras. We literally asked, like, anybody got any video cameras? The guys, like, I got some. And so we put together this DVD. Kim sang how he loves, and um, and then, and then maybe we release the album a few months later. Somebody calls me and they said, did you know that somebody uploaded how he loves on YouTube? Now, at the time, YouTube was not the marketing juggernaut it is right now. Like, it was like a place where you kind of upload your home videos for right. other people to see. Yeah. Like, we, we didn't even know to put something up on YouTube. Yeah. So they said somebody uploaded How He Loves on YouTube and it's had 250,000 plays. <laughs> and I was like, and that was unbelievable. That was yeah. like, I had a, I'm like, what? <laughs> it's had 250,000 plays? Are you serious? Well, all of a sudden, that song took off. And then the worship took off, and then once the worship took off, people began to come to events and things like that. So it's funny because there literally was—it <laughs> sounds horrible saying this—there was like no plan, no marketing, no yeah. like, "Hey, we're going to put this on YouTube," and then we're going to come out with this. We're gonna, we were just doing the best we can to follow Jesus and take the next step. And we thought, let's record a DVD. And then we didn't even... Some kid put it up. I think illegally, too. Yeah. I'm not even sure he was yeah. supposed to. <laughs> like, legally put it up on YouTube. And, and that's really where all of a sudden people start... And that's also why most people would know as worship yes. more than anything else.
0: That song, it, as you say, even though it's not even your song, Kim Walker-Smith yeah, yeah. didn't even write that yeah. song. And yet, it does seem to have sort of catapulted the movement and still really I think, still be a song that people will immediately associate with Jesus culture. People still this day,
1: and, and honestly for me, it's one of the most humbling things you can hear because this is what we wanted was people to encounter God. Mm. They still come up to me and they say, I spent one, they, they said I did an entire year where every morning I played that song on YouTube and I just wept the entire time. Like oh. the amount of people that still come up to me and say that song for me. Touched me in such a deep way, and uh, so I love it.
0: The other big change that's happened, of course, is is you have now got a church, yep. um, which is in Sacramento, about 150 miles south of Reading. So tell me more about how that came about. I'd never really
1: thought about having a church. Um, we had formed kind of a team. We we had a staff we would built in Reading, and and was really involved in the senior leadership team there and and doing a bunch of stuff. And um, and I, I just I got a phone call one day from a friend of mine who has a church who just started talking to me about maybe coming out and taking their church and, and kind of that process, we knew that it wasn't what we were supposed to do, but it just kind of sparked something in us that the Lord's kind of calling us to to be sent. So we just sat down with our team and said, Hey, I think the Lord's sending us. And so we just started praying into cities and where do you want us to go? God, what's this look like? And so three years ago uh, we were sent from Bethel took our, there's about 60 adults and 40 kids packed up and moved to Sacramento. Uh, We waited about a year and a half. So about a year and a half ago, we planted a church in Sacramento right outside the suburbs. And uh, it's been an incredible, like absolutely incredible. In in fact, our latest album came from the church. We felt it was important that we would. So we just recorded on Sundays at the church. And um, it's been something special being down there. God's doing some really significant stuff in the area of unity in Sacramento. Churches are very connected, working closely together, very very relationally um, knit together, and uh, it's we've just had a blast. Yeah. Absolutely loved it, and it's been fun too. I mean, we're planting a church with people that I've been doing life with for years, mm. years yeah. that we've been doing life together and ministry together. So to go down and actually plant a community of people yeah. who are going after worship, who are
0: going after city, mm. seeing cities impacted, has been pretty special. When you hear about big church movements planting. Uh, new congregations in new places uh, one of the kind of criticisms that yes. comes back is often well you've got a big name a big brand yes. like jesus culture when you sort of rock up in a city are you just going to have all the sort of young 20 something yes. christians leave Telling. their other churches is, is you know is that something you're aware of or something you have Absolutely. to deal with? you
1: know when we went in a lot of our friends were like can't need to be aware of this stuff and so i am not even sure this is our, our hearts for our, we're team players our hearts for the the kingdom and the body of christ so that's naturally there, but I'm not even sure I fully planned this, but we knew we weren't supposed to plant right away. So I literally took 15 months and just jumped into the thing that was going on in the city with. We hadn't even planted, and um, I'd make sure I was going to all the pastors gatherings. I, I don't want to exaggerate, but I bet you I, I, I bet you in 15 months. I had coffee or 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 um, lunch with 30 different pastors, maybe mm-hmm. more. Pastors in Sacramento were really, really gracious to me. So within a month of being there, about 15 of these kind of senior leader pastors in the region took me to lunch, and they said, hey, um, we're really glad that you're here. We believe that the Lord sent you. Uh, we want to reach a city, and uh, we want to get to know you, and we want you to get to know us. How can we help? So when I came down into an environment that was— Pretty welcoming. And then I just jumped in. And so I think that there's always that tension of, you know, the name, the new shiny thing, all that type of stuff. But I think that people really, um, we had established relationships with these pastors. They knew me. Mm. So when I sat down, they knew that I cared. They knew that I'm for them. (laughs) They knew that I'm for what's going on in the city. In fact, our launch service on Sunday. Um, we invited we had about ten different pastors there that got up on stage, maybe about six from the area that I literally said, "Would you come on stage our first Sunday, and would you pray a blessing over these so these are senior pastors from other churches. Would you pray a blessing over our church wow. um, and and I, it was significant for me because and i wasn 't doing this just to jump through a hoop. I really genuinely believe that we 're going to be we 're going to be reaping fruit that we didn 't sow mm-hmm that that these men and women have been in Sacramento for years, and it's their tears, it's their labor, it's their work, and we're going to come in and we're going to reap some of their uh, uh, work that they've done. And I wanted to both honor that as well as understand these are the fathers and mothers in Sacramento, spiritually speaking, and we want a blessing as we come in. And uh, probably my favorite part of our launch Sunday was when that group got up and prayed over us, and just said some words about the thing. It was, it was pre- pretty special.
0: Is it hard now that you are a local church leader as well as a, a sort of leader for a global movement? Is it hard to balance those two things? Because obviously you do a lot a lot of traveling. You're here in the UK at the moment, but you're also a pastor of a of a local yeah. church. How does that work?
1: Yeah, it's definitely been a different rhythm for sure. I mean, um, they're just it's definitely been a, a different rhythm. We we pl- so we didn't have to deconstruct anything. So when we planted the church we immediately were able to communicate hey we're a local church that wants to impact a city that has a passion to change the world so it was like hey the train you're getting on we've got a passion i mean in fact i just recorded a video um, that played on sunday where i just talked to our church and said hey i'm in the uk this week we have a, 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 we have a mandate to partner with the uk like right, yeah. our church has a mandate to invest in uh in this nation and what god's doing here and so i think that we're able to kind of bring them along so they understand hey we're not just a local church trying to reach a city we are a local church has a call to the nations as well Mm -hmm. and so when our when our guys are out on tour you know going to arenas they know that's us out there yeah you know we may you know the story of david some stayed back with the luggage you know and some went out the rewards the same yeah so, so our church has a concept that even though I'm stayed home in Sacramento and I'm not in the UK this week, that's still my reward that I'm getting. Sure, and whatever fruit comes from that. So, I think we just were able to marry that early on, yeah. and so they understand that that you know. They're not every single Sunday. I, I'm, I, I actually preach quite a bit there, but you know we have a team concept of people preaching and different things, and they've just bought into it pretty quick. Yeah,
0: and uh, I guess with the worship as well, you mentioned having Jesus Culture the band out on tour. Yes. Um, I guess that means you, you have even more of a responsibility to raise up other worship musicians, yes, otherwise absolutely. you have no worship band on a well, Sunday.
1: Well, that's interesting. <laughs> that's what's funny. Absolutely. It has made us very quickly make sure that we are developing and raising up other people. It's been one of the beautiful things for me, actually, is to see um, how strong the worship has become, even when the band, mm. I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> even when the band is out on tour, how strong the worship is.
0: Yeah. And I wonder for you personally, you already mentioned that, that people, when they think of Jesus' culture, they immediately think of the music. Yeah. Does that bother you? Well, from a personal standpoint, from, so, so from Banning
1: Leipzig's standpoint... I'm actually quite grateful for it. Um, I, I feel like the Lord's allowed me to be a part of something, but allowed me, like it doesn't have my name on it. And for me, I think that was important. I, I, I shudder sometimes to think if it was, you know, Banning Leaps, band, banned. Uh, although that would never happen, but you get my point. You know, The fact that I'm with these sons and daughters who are way more famous than I am, who have way more Twitter followers than I have, who everybody wants to see, for me personally, yeah. in my walk with the Lord, has been a really good thing. I, I've been very grateful that the Lord has done that. And I think that all of us have an understanding that this is way bigger than just one person. And we don't want it just to be one person. That that we want this to actually be bigger than you know. So as a team, we're just better together. And uh, absolutely, I could tell you a ton of funny stories though of people that are like, <laughs> have you know, have no clue that there's anything else. Have no clue who I am. I'll get. We'll go out on tour and I'll get up. Uh, to preach and literally people are like what's going on right now who is this guy that's interrupting my favorite worship team why is he up there right now and so there's many many stories of people thinking i'm the sound guy and 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 all that stuff but i actually think it's been great it's
0: it it keeps you humble is that that what you're getting at absolutely
1: In, in a really good way and i've legitimately i'm not just saying this really really grateful for it yeah you know, sure. whenever we're in Germany and they're like, "Hey, you know, Kim's there and Chris," you probably gonna have to walk around the crowd. I'm like, "I'll be fine. I'll be able to walk <laughs> through them. Trust me." You know,
0: <laughs> that's great. Um, we we talked earlier about about your faith growing up and how, for you, it was really a very strong faith that uh, that continued. Uh, do you ever have um, Do you ever have major doubts though? You know,
1: I I don't. <laughs> Probably growing up, I did. Growing up, you ask those questions like, "Is what we believe real?" You know, what if all, what if there are other religions are just as right? What if we're wrong? Definitely, growing up, I wrestled with that. But I, I I think I I've just seen the Lord do so much. He's just changed my life in such a significant way. I've seen him answer prayers. I've seen him heal bodies. I've seen him change hearts. It's just it's it's unexplainable outside of the fact that this is God. I, I I we there's a there's kind of a little mini revival that's broken out in a prison in Texas that we've been involved with, and I went and visited these guys and sat down with about fifty of them and just heard their stories. and And I remember what, these, these are like guys that are in for life, very violent, with uh, some of the toughest situations. I just sat and listened to their stories of what Jesus has done in their life. And and just the love in their eyes and the joy in their heart. And some of them, are, they're never getting out of prison. And I remember walking away going, I believed in Jesus before. I believe in him even more now. Just seeing seeing the, the transformation of somebody that was so broken, so hurting, so angry, so violent. And to see the love of Jesus really touch somebody at that level. I just don't know how I'm like, <laughs> I just can't, you know, Yeah, it's just so real.
0: It's interesting. This word revivalists is yes, used quite a lot by your is. movement, um, certainly from where Bethel's coming from. What does this word mean? We we hear it a lot in, in kind of your circles, yeah, I guess. Yeah, totally. Being a revivalist. It's what totally is that? in our circles, isn't it?
1: <laughs> we sometimes even hesitate using the word revival because it has such different meanings and connotations in different circles. I think for us when when we talk about a revivalist we're talking about somebody who is you know is completely sold out to the cause of Christ that carries the presence of God uh, wherever they go uh, has a passion for that, I think when we use the word revival for me there'd be different aspects, obviously, I think first and foremost and and I think we use that word intentionally, not just because of we would understand like well, I went to a revival once, and it was a week long you know camp yeah. meeting type deal yeah. but but that that as you look back both biblically and through history. You see times where God moved in a very significant way, Mm. where His where where He poured out His Spirit in Wales in 1904, in Azusa Street in 1906, and and the first Great Awakening, the second Great Awakening. There was these moments of of history, and we just think like that's still available, Mm. and so we use those words because of that. But for us, revival really would be it, it would be around the presence of God coming in a significant way and and changing people's lives and cities. It would be the church being awakened. Um, you know, that first love awakening, that surrendering everything, giving all for the cause of Christ. You know, you hear about these Moravians that literally were so passionate about reaching people that they would sell themselves into slavery to reach slaves, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, so so it's the presence of God. It's the church being awakened. It's and I, I would say it's sinners being saved. You know, yeah. it's those who don't know Jesus meeting Jesus. And then I would also say the fourth aspect for me would be culture transformed. It's one of the things, uh, being over here in the UK, one of the things that so impressed me with uh, William Booth and the birth of the Salvation Army is is culture was impacted. Society was transformed. And so the heart, the passion that Booth carried actually manifested in practical, (laughs) transformational ways. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that type of radical abandonment to God Mm. That that the presence of God responds to, that the church is awakened by, that sinners yeah. are saved in, and that culture is transformed. And have we seen
0: that in recent years?
1: I think we've seen it in pockets. Obviously, you hear about um, different pockets in America experiencing pretty significant movements of salvation. Whether it's you know whether it's the Browns revival, whether it's tr- you know the Toronto outpouring with the presence of God and and the love of God being poured out. And then we hear some pretty significant stuff around the world. You know, you know, one of the things that I, I'm not sure people fully realize that the, the day we live in right now, God's moving in a really un- unprecedented way. If you look at and some of these stats are going to be old. And I'm like t- 15 years old that I'm going to give you. But but if you look at what's happening right now, there's prayer movements happening around the world. We're not talking about just one or two places. Entire stadiums are being filled with prayer. The twenty-four-seven prayer movement to Pete Gregg. Um, you know, uh, pr- prayer houses and prayer rooms and prayer businesses and churches are taking this on. There's signs and wonders. I think are being released. There, it's it's not abnormal now for people to really actually believe that the Lord moves in that mm-hmm. way. And then also salvations. There are more Muslims being saved today than any time in all of history. The the, the statistics in China. Just the statistics in China, which, again, these are older, they're they're even more now. They were saying that there was 1,200 people an hour coming to Jesus in China alone. And that was, this is 15 years ago, that was happening for a decade straight. If you look at China, if you you look across Latin America, if you look throughout the continent of Africa, and, and I'll say this, even in Europe, the Lord is doing significant things. So... I'm not sure we've fully seen the culmination of this mm. in, in a way where we're seeing um, some of the things that we've read about yet. But God is on the move in a significant way, and it's been it's pretty profound impact.
0: And it, it's really great to hear you talk internationally. And you said earlier that you believe that Jesus culture has a mandate for the UK. Yes, and maybe sometimes it takes an outsider coming uh, in to kind of show people I, who uh, live here what's really going on. Because I think honestly, most people. Well, not most people, but a lot of people are quite pessimistic about the church yeah, in the UK. We, we hear a lot about decline. We hear a lot about less people going to church than ever and the rise of secularism. But yes. you know, you've just said some very encouraging things that are happening worldwide, and you included Europe in that. And yes. you've said you have a mandate for the UK. So tell well, me Well, listen, about we that.
1: started coming over to the UK uh, when I was 19 and 95. As Jesus Culture, we started coming over around 2006 for the last 10 years. Absolutely have seen the water level rise. Not because of us at all. I mean... Uh, and, and our hearts just to be over here to serve and, and partner with what God's doing in the churches. But absolutely have seen the water level rise of passion. A lot of people, it's very interesting. In America, we're encountering the same thing. They come out with statistics. You know, uh, 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 people that don't associate with religion anymore is growing. This is growing. This is growing. But, but I think they're very misleading statistics because what we're finding is this although people may associate less with church, because they associated with church before doesn't necessarily mean that their heart was alive to God. Mm -hmm. So what we're finding is the, the depth of Christianity is growing. The passion in believers is growing. We were just here. We did our first conference that we've done a long time over in the UK. We did it in Manchester last year and we had 1900 people come and the majority from the UK, much were some came from Europe, but, but the, the, the worship like people's heart, just to worship God with everything they have mm. to really believe him it's it's alive and well, mm. it's alive and well, and so I do think sometimes you know you just get an outside perspective where you're like no. God really is doing some pretty significant things. And listen, the U.K. is—I'm not just saying this because I'm in the U.K. right now. The worship movement that's come out of the U.K., the prayer movement that's come out of the U.K., the evangelism movement with Alpha that's come out of the U.K., there have been some pretty significant things not 100 years ago. We're talking about in recent years that's come out of the U.K. that's touched the world. And um, and, so—and listen, my— my view on this stuff, there's a book called The Cure of All Ills. It was written by uh, Intercessor in the 90s. It's a fascinating book. It has maybe the ugliest cover you've ever seen, but <laughs> it's a fascinating book on – she talks about that. She tracks that when God pours out his spirit, it's at the lowest times in society. So when the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, these different times in history, society was at a moral low. It was at a, a societal low. It was at an economic low. It was it curved down, yeah. trended down, and then God showed up and everything changed. And you can read throughout Scripture, you can see throughout history that it's some of the darkest times and mm-hmm. some of the lowest times. Yeah. So some of these statistics we see, for me, honestly, I'm like, all right, this is a perfect, t- this <laughs> is when God shows up. Yeah. This is when he comes. And, uh, but I would say this, the depth of Christianity in the lives of people. The commitment is going deeper. So, even though some people who say, I no longer, so before it was a social thing, in America at least, I don't know if it might be over here too, it's like I associate with church from a social aspect, not from a, rel- you know, yeah. and they're no longer feeling the pressure to do it socially
0: anymore. Yeah. And it's showing up statistically. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think that's changing what God's doing. Sure. Sure. Uh, th- there's a number of sort of, um, I almost want to say theories about revival. I mean, you, you just hear certain things said a lot. For example, a lot of people say we won't see revival until the church is cleaned up, until there's sort of true repentance in the church. Uh, revival has to start sort of with us. Is there, is there something in that? And and is there something that feeds into your ministry there with, with helping Christians to kind of get a passion and a, a revelation of what God's doing? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I,
1: I mean, I think the Lord comes and deals with the church. I, I think, you know, we're called the Disciple Nations, uh we're called to give give what we've been you know freely give what we've been given but it's very hard to disciple nations if it's very hard to see us a, a nation you know become whole and healthy if your own personal life is a mess mm, yeah so i do think that the lord comes you know even as i think he comes and challenges the church in their marriages you know, we want to see marriage become. Hell. We want to see marriages restore the nation, and mar- there's such a fight over marriage issues right now. But if you look at the church, you know, the Lord has to come and say, "Listen, you, we have to go after this in our own lives." Yeah. So I absolutely do think that the that the Lord comes and says, "At the end of the day, here's the reality: all we have to give is our lives." Yeah. All we have to give is our lives. So the Lord comes and says, I need to grow your life. I need to challenge what's going on with you. I need you to live whole and healthy. I, I need you to embrace a life of holiness. I need you to embrace a life of love. I need mm-hmm. you to embrace a life of purity because this is what I'm wanting to do in society. And so I think he does challenge us. Absolutely. I think it starts with, and that's where the repentance and prayer and, and our hearts becoming awakened really comes from is that the Lord's wanting to first deal with some things in the church.
0: And that brings us to your book called Rooted, The Hidden Places Where God Develops You. And one of the big ideas, I guess, is about how God wants to develop you before he develops your vision. And um, I was thinking that's, that's not necessarily a, something that people want to hear, is it? That's not necessarily <laughs> a popular message, no, is it? No,
1: because it's a long message. <laughs> you know, when I started in youth, I started in ministry when I was 19. So 21 years later, as I look back, my passion to write the book was what we all have in common, what what mean you the different ages that we are, what we have in common is is we're in process. Mm, yeah, like God has us in a process, and I think that many people get um, uh, kind of get derailed in the process. It's all the D words. It's the discouraged and you know distracted and disillusioned and derailed in the process, because they don't understand that God uses a process to develop them and that God's passionate about developing you. A vision, so a, a vision is a natural outflow of a healthy life. Yeah. And so so what I want to do is come alongside people and say, listen, when the Lord plants a seed in your life, so a word, a dream, a passion, a vision, when he plants a seed in your life, the next step is not fruit. The next step is roots. Mm-hmm. And I would say the most important growth that happens is the root system. Because John 15 says that we're not just to bear fruit, we're to bear fruit that remains. So all healthy, lasting, impactful fruit is attached to a healthy, developed root system. And this is, especially in our society, uh, we've lost a little bit of the agricultural concept. We're just so rushed that we forget sometimes that... This is the life of David. We use the early life of David as the backdrop. He was a preteen when Samuel came to him. And Samuel came. Samuel said, here's a word, and he anointed him. But it was almost two decades later that he stepped into being a king when he was 30. Well, those two decades, the Lord developed his life. The Lord developed a root system in him. And it, it comes in different soils and things. But the Lord does this. And and I think a lot of people don't recognize that when the Lord plants a seed in your life, the next step is now a process where he's going to develop a root system. And that root system is underground. It's in hiding. It's dirty. It's not linear. It's messy. And, and that's where we get hung up sometimes. We're so frustrated because God's not developing my vision. And I'm like, God's developing you. He's developing mm-hmm. a root system. He's looking to build your trust. Yeah. He's looking to, you know... All the things that he wants to do in the process. So that's really, I just want to encourage, I think once people realize like, oh, this is what God's doing in my life, just because you don't see anything on the surface doesn't mean growth isn't happening. And so a lot of people are like, I'm so frustrated because I don't see God doing anything. Mm -hmm. I'm like, he's doing a lot. It's just, it's just in your internal world. It's just below the surface. And, and, and again, it's the most important growth. And so I'm trying to get people to have a value For the internal root systems that God's trying to develop in our life. Mm. You talk about revival. Here's the deal for me. If we don't allow God to develop our lives, we're never going to bear fruit that remains in cities. And so my passion is for people to bear fruit through remains, but that means you've got to have a value and a vision and
0: a passion for root systems, not just fruit. Yeah. It seems, you know, I think what you're saying is very applicable to the kind of culture we live in where we want everything instantly. Yes. And we do. We have all these, we have everything at our fingertips, don't we, with, you know, the technology that we yes. have today. And yet there often God is doing something much slower, kind of behind the scenes. And here's why. We live in
1: a technological age.
0: So the information age, the digital age, it
1: brings, you know, the technological age is both beautiful and stunting in, we don't even understand process sometimes. Mm. So when the Bible was written, when Jesus taught, it was an agricultural age. They understood this. When somebody said a seed's planted, they would understand, okay, it's going to take some time now. Yeah. And and that there they're fruit trees you know it, you plant a tr- you plant a seed it takes seven years yeah for something to bear fruit there are some nut trees the really expensive ones that it takes twenty years you plant a seed and it's twenty years later that that nut appears on the tree so it's this kind of thing and we have a you know we have iPhones. Literally, we will go spend. I don't know how much it costs over here, but we'll go spend nine hundred dollars <laughs> for a new iPhone. Yeah. And when you say, "Well, what's it do? Well, what's different about it? It's faster." And they're talking <laughs> literally seconds. And they're talking that when they try to bring their phone up and it's one one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, oh
0: you know that I
1: will go buy a new phone so it's one one thousand. You know, we're talking. I shaved a second and a half off load time. Yeah. So we have a hard time grasping the fact that it's that our life is not technologically paralleled it's agriculturally paralleled yeah. and that just because you get frustrated because the process is going slower than you imagined mm. doesn't make it speed up no. you know when you plant a seed you can be as frustrated as you want it doesn't make the seed grow quicker no. you can't go buy you know seed 2.0 <laughs> cuz that seed's faster yeah but we think like that. We're like, I don't. This computer is so old because literally
0: it took fifteen seconds to start. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah. that's where we're at. So um, I wondered, coming back to, to sort of speaking for yourself personally, who are the kind of people who have really influenced you? And I guess in influencing you, have influenced your ministry.
1: Well, for sure, Bill. I mean, Bill Johnson has just been a, a real dad in my life and shaped a lot of my thinking. So his passion for the kingdom, his passion just to serve. His passion to be generous, his passion for signs and wonders, his passion for the presence of God. Bill's one of the most unambitious men you'll ever meet. It's really crazy. He just he just wants to he just wants to love God really well, love people well, and he's very unassuming that way. So he has shaped my life a lot. Uh, there's a guy named Lou Engle who uh, has a prayer movement in the U.S. and different places. He's shaped my life a lot in thinking movement in thinking that God can do something significant and that uh, that we can mobilize the church uh, for great things and prayer life. Uh, my passion for prayer really kind of came from being with him. Um, and so th- those two men in particular have been really shaping forces in my life. Um, you know, as well, there's different people that maybe people wouldn't know that were just fathers in my life at Bethel, you know, Danny Silk and Chris Vallotton and Dan Fairley. And then, and then there's some there's been some really impactful books that I've read. To be honest with you, um, a guy named Andrew Murray, who uh, you know a- Andrew Murray, uh, a prayer guy, Ian Bounds, um, a guy from over here, Arthur Wallace. Mm. Arthur Wallace wrote a book uh, called "In the Day of Thy Power," uh, that really kind of shaped my thinking around revival and different things. So. Um, uh, Catherine Coleman. There's just been different different books. I, I, I read a lot of biographies mm-hmm. in my twenties and thirties. Yeah. Just devour biographies. So a lot of these past men and women that either wrote about prayer or lived it or or revival shaped me a lot. But but Bill probably out of everybody yeah. the most, his you know, his passion for the kingdom of humility has yeah. been big for me.
0: And we've we talked a lot about all that's all that's happened, all that God's done in you and through your through your ministry over the years. And here we are in twenty sixteen. I wonder what do you think the future holds for you and for your ministry?
1: Well, hopefully we can just serve the church more effectively and better. I mean, my heart is really—obviously um, we want to see our own city in Sacramento impacted and reached for Jesus and the gospel. And then we just want to serve the body of Christ in, in the nations. We want to come alongside them, encourage them. I want, to, I want to speak courage to people. I want to speak hope to people. I, I want them to leave with more courage than they had, and I want mm-hmm. them to leave really understanding we have a living hope and for them to understand who they are in Christ and their identity. So I think the future for us, just hopefully we can just become more effective in serving the body of Christ. And then in turn seeing that ignited into cities, mm-hmm. being saved and transformed.
0: Do you, do you feel like you have a particular uh message for the for the UK? Um, you know, as someone who travels a lot, is there anything you feel like God is specifically saying um to the UK church at the moment or or an area of ministry you're focusing on when you're when you're here in the UK?
1: Yeah, you know, obviously hope is alive and well is a message we carry right now. I have a, um again you talked about it, Europe in particular, UK and Europe, you know, you guys are in the trenches in a deep you guys are in the trenches, you know. A lot of what everybody would say is secular society, post-Christian, that type of stuff. You guys are in the trenches, and and I, I just want to just encourage and speak hope and life to people because God is doing significant stuff. He is doing some amazing things, and I think he has great. He obviously has great plans uh, for the UK and, and Europe. And, um, and so, yeah, we, we're, we, we come, we don't, we don't have the answer. We're not rolling in with like, you know, here's the answer, here's the model, here's what you need to do. We, we but we just have a, a heart to just get in the presence of God with people. If we can, if our heart is to introduce people to the presence of God, mm. We don't have a corner on the market in that for sure, but we have a passion just to worship and gather together. And so Mm. there's something that happens when we gather corporately. I'm I'm a a firm believer that there are certain things you can only get one-on-one in the secret with Jesus. But there are some things as well that you get when you gather together with the family of God corporately. Um, and so I, I just want to speak courage and hope and life to people. I want them to be able to understand. A lot of what we're going after right now, to be honest with you, is trying to make the connections to, we use the word revivalist, but we're actually saying, what's a revivalist look like in the boardroom? What's a revivalist look like in the classroom? What's a revivalist look like on the playing field and and uh, it, you know in these different realms of society? Because we all know what a revivalist looks like behind a pulpit, but the reality is, is 98% of the people we're talking to Aren't going to change the world behind a pulpit, yeah. but they're called to change the world. Yeah. So we're saying, well, what does that look like then in whatever realm you're in? God's called you to lead. God's called you to carry the heart for a revival, although it may look different than me standing behind a pulpit. You won't stand behind a pulpit in your business, but you absolutely are called to carry the heart of revival into that situation. What does that look like? How do you find that? And, and I, I, we have a passion for this one right now. It's amazing how many people that don't stand behind pulpits feel like second-class ministers because they're not behind a pulpit. We're like, you're not a second-class minister because you're not behind a pulpit. In fact, we don't need you behind a pulpit. We don't want you behind a pulpit. We need you exactly where you are leading. Mm. Go lead exactly where you are because we are going to see cities transformed when the church, not just behind the pulpit, but the
0: church actually begins to lead in a significant way and bring the heart of God there. I know a lot of people who go to Jesus Culture events, you know, they they feel like they've really met with God, had an incredible time. And this will maybe be, I don't know, on a, on a Thursday night or whatever. And then they go back to their church on a Sunday and it's quite different, and they struggle. And I wonder what kind of advice you'd have for people like that, who feel like they're really having a sense of the presence of God when they go to some of these big events. And it may not be a Jesus culture thing. It may be some other Christian event. But actually, on a Sunday in their church, they struggle. Well, I think that, I think that one, we have to understand
1: a little bit. Although, you know, conferences, and I love conferences, and, and all the ones with New Wine or Soul Survivor, all all these gatherings that happen over here, You know, I mean, there are a moment where people separate, you know, there are a moment where, you know, the top 30 people that are passionate for God from every church gather and there's lights and the best worship leaders and all this type of stuff. So there's this there's this anticipation. There's this uh, it's not just the level, but there people are coming expecting something. I would really challenge people don't get critical don't get negative about your church or where you're at but but come and 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 go after God just as hard there uh, so many times we come with anticipation to a conference but we don't come with the same anticipation to the church service like and that's on you like you you've got to come with great anticipation that anything could happen today i'm going to come meet with God today because he says when we gather he'll come you know and so i think if we can just stir the church to say, listen, every time you gather in a group of five people, in a group of 50 people, in a group of 500 or 5,000, come with anticipation that God is going to meet you there and that great things are going to happen. And listen, you know, the guy playing the guitar may not be as good, <laughs> honestly, just from a skills standpoint. Yeah, but yeah. but, but I remember years ago, it was very interesting, we had a situation come where um, – the Guy this was years ago, before we had much going on, we, we spent so much time doing lights and making sure that everything was great for the stage and the guy that was running that his, his his grandfather passed away right before the conference, so we weren't able to put up anything and it was so intriguing to me. the stage was super simple, there was no lights, there was no anything, and we had spent so much time in the years before on it, and when we went into worship, it was the same worship. it was so good, and I just remember thinking, "Oh my gosh, these lights." They actually don't, you know, they just don't have the impact that I thought they would have. You know, we still have them because we value excellence and things like that. But some of that stuff matters way less than we imagine. You can encounter God the same way if you come with great expectation for God's going to meet me here. Well, unfortunately,
0: Banning, we're out of time. But thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. And we just
1: are really just praying and standing with you guys over here.
0: That was my interview with Banning Liebscher from 2016. Decided to put it out on the Profile podcast today just for you. Previously aired on Premier Christian Radio. If you would like to hear more interviews then please do have a look back through the Profile archive. We've got a whole host of interviews now building up, going back some time and I'm really delighted to say there's loads more coming here on the Profile podcast. We really appreciate your continued support of what we're doing here on the Profile. If you're able to rate us on whatever program you use to get hold of your podcast that would be a massive help please give us a rating and the other thing that you could do for us is share this podcast either the entire podcast series or perhaps point people to one or two episodes that you think they would enjoy that really helps us as well thank you so much for listening and we will see you right here next week